Doors closing. Kedzie is next. Doors open on the left at Kedzie. From Mallory Square in Key West to the Governor's Mansion in Tallahassee and all points beyond, you're listening to the Florida Beer Podcast, powered by FloridaBeerBlog.com, your source for all things related to the craft beer community in the Sunshine State. And now your host, Dave Butler. And welcome to the Chicago Beer Podcast maybe, for the next couple of episodes. Welcome to the Florida Beer Podcast, powered by FloridaBeerBlog.com. This is Dave, your host and author, and yes, we are going to be spending the next couple of episodes in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I was recently there for a couple of days, had an absolutely fantastic time. If you've never been to Chicago, it is amazing. Um, It's home to the Siebel Institute. It's home to the uh, Cicerone program, which I did not realize, and a lot of great breweries. Obviously, everybody's heard of Goose Island at this point. Many people have heard of Revolution Brewing, but there's a lot of other players, and that's always who I like to go for when I go visit a city and go visit its breweries. So we have two interviews today. Uh, Later on in the episode, we'll be heading to Dovetail Brewing, which is very clean and German, has a lot of great traditional beers. And we'll be chatting with them pretty soon, but right now we're going to head to Corridor Brewing. Well, I guess they're known by their full name, Corridor Brewery and Provisions. They are in the Lakeview area of Chicago not too far from their sister location, Dry Hop Brewers. And between this interview and now, they actually just announced plans to open up a third brewery that's actually going to focus on lagers, craft cocktails, and pizzas. So with them, with the Dry Hop family, they sort of keep everything separate. Each individual location is sort of its own entity. So, while I was there, I was able to chat with uh, Brent Dubovic, who is the Director of Brewing Operations, and Patrick Berta, who is their lead brewer. Had a great interview um, at a table pretty close to a bustling sidewalk area. It's a very walkable area, so you're going to hear a lot of background noise, which is perfect. And I hope you enjoy Basically, in a few words, if you can describe the Chicago brewing, brewing scene yourself, how would you sort of describe it right now? Eclectic. Very, very eclectic. It does seem to favor any one... It does not favor one yeah. style at all. We've got Metropolitan and Dovetail doing great lagers. We've got Corridor and Forbidden Root and Maplewood doing awesome New England-style beers. We've got... Uh, off color doing amazing sours as well as Goose Island who introduced it. We got A Market doing awesome just straight up American IPAs. We've got I mean it, it, the list goes on and on. We've got Dovetail doing sour like a actual three year uh, uh, ghost program up there which is amazing. So yeah, it's, and obviously the behemoth here has been Goose Island even before the oh yeah the purchase. Um, has a lot of what's been going on here sort of been building off of what they've done. They, and I would even say to a slightly lesser extent, Revolution. So you've been sort of dovetailing up them? I feel or? like uh, it sort of lays the groundwork for being having the mindset that you're comfortable with craft beer, like always having it around and available wherever you go. So I think that helps like sort of set the stage and open up the doorway for like other businesses, other breweries to sort of like step up. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I think from from the uh, standpoint of, I think Goose Island is definitely influenced a lot, as well as uh, 
not even to a lesser degree, but to a degree also. Uh, Rock Bottom Chicago, I think, uh, really influenced like what's going on with the Barrel Agent program around town. It's just that Goose was one of the first, and Pete Crowley, when he was at Rock Bottom, he was like one of the forefathers in the, in the uh, Barrel Agent department. So I think that's continued in a lot of brewers have sort of taken that and run with it in Chicago as well. Basically, being here and seeing what those guys were doing for years and years and years when there weren't 137 or 160 yeah. breweries in town. <laughs> well, this actually isn't the first. Your parent company, I guess want to call it Sister that. Brewery. Sister Brewery. Yeah. There you go. This is the second for Dry Hop. Why was the decision made to not have it be Dry Hop Part 2? Why was it a separate brand and separate feel? Uh, well, we never, we set out with this plan. Greg Schuss, the owner of the company, and I was the first hire for the company back in 2011, so Dry Hop opened in 2013, so there was a two-year gap before we even opened that it was just he and I sitting in a room figuring out what we were going to do. And uh, it had always been the business from the business plan standpoint that we were going to be a group of. First, it, it sort of evolved from we're going to just put dry ops. Dry ops is going to be the cookie cutter formula, and we're going to put dry ops all over Chicago and just go with that. Sort of like a miniature version of Rock Bottom, if you will, but solely concentrate on Chicago and other Midwestern cities. Uh, and that sort of evolved into let's do a little bit more elevated food program and uh, as opposed to just doing tacos or sausages or something so that's sort of drop sort of evolved into that partially due to our liquor license that our, our tavern license that we had so the licensing basically requires us to have a kitchen over and uh, Greg sort of said if we're gonna do this let's do it the right way not like half acid yeah um, so that's what we did and then it sort of evolved into we always wanted to open up more of these dry hops and it sort of evolved into let's do something different in each location uh, based on the Boca group and Let Us Entertain You and One Off Hospitality, some of these awesome restaurant groups around town that are not opening up, like One Off's not opening up five publicans, they're opening up cool standalone uh, standalone restaurants and the Boca group's not opening up Swift and Sons, a steakhouse, they're doing steakhouses and stuff with Stephanie Izard and cool stuff around town and Let Us Entertain You has 65 restaurants <laughs> around town. Not all, some of them are copycats, but the majority of them are on their own. So that sort of said, what can we do different? What can be our spin on the restaurant group concept? And that was, we're going to brew at each location, but we're going to be different. So it's evolved into that. Nice. And um, kind of describe the menu, and I know that you had mentioned earlier working with the executive chef here yeah. and really sort of prepare the beer and the food. Yeah, uh, work with the chef, head chef to try to figure out how we can get some of the beer into the food and really go full circle. Like he'll make a barbecue sauce out of one of the hazies. He'll put hops into some malt vinegar for fish and chips. Then we go, we talk sometimes about like beer pairings like in the fall he had like a sort of turkey dinner sandwich with like stuffing and cranberries and all that good stuff and so I try to make it like a London ale to sort of pair with that as well excellent and really with the beer list here it tends to be a little bit more saison heavy more hazy heavy oh yeah um, what was the reasoning behind that that's, that's what people wanted and we sort of we sort of caught lightning in a bottle and uh yeah. So we started out as a farmhouse brewery, and we were doing, we would at any point probably have three or four saisons on, and we sort of did a 180 and made that, now let's have three hazies on, and they sort of, starting with squeeze, it started, started to take off, and uh, we just can't keep them in the tank, so it's just, <laughs> yes. it's dictating what we're going to brew, so as long as people want them, we're going to keep brewing them, and then once they don't want them, we'll pivot into what they want and keeps you very busy oh, yeah. yeah yeah i've got the one saison that you've got on the menu which is fantastic awesome. thank you tell me a little bit about what i'm drinking uh it's a rye saison uh rye gives it like a little bit more spice character more complexity than i try to with uh some tet and some grungeis bring out some of those citrus kind of juicy notes mm -hmm. kind of blend it all together yeah it's interesting it's got sort of a in terms of spice it's almost like a whip beer but it's not 
sharp, yeah. like the coriander tends to be. It's a little bit more rounded, yeah. which I really enjoy. <laughs> um, being, I guess, what you would call an up-and-coming neighborhood, you had sort of mentioned the issues with the kind of license that you have. What sort of legal issues or what sort of legal legalities do you usually run into when opening up in Chicago? I'll tell you what, I, I, you hear horror stories, but it really has not that been that bad. We ran into, so we have what's called a nano wall system at both locations, which is retractable doors that allows the storefront to be completely open. Um, at Dry Hop, we ran into a problem because we technically at the time, which has now been shuttered, but we had a, we were conjoined with a parking garage, so we did not have an open, open air exit. So for emergency exit purposes, we had to put the emergency exit into the nano wall system, but that swung onto a public street, a public sidewalk. So we basically had to petition the aldermen in the town or the, uh, and the, the neighborhood association and the city in order to swing onto uh, the public way. And that, that took about 12 weeks to get that approved. So that was a big sticking point over there. As far as quarter goes, it was pretty smooth sailing. We do, I mean, Greg Schuff's our owner and he handles pretty much all the legal stuff and leaves the brewing to us and the cooking to the chefs and uh, front of house to the front of house director. And he concentrates on getting us the proper licensing so that we can do that. And uh, he's really good about it. And he, has an excellent liquor attorney that helped us out and we use the same general contractor on the two locations so uh, we have a good working relationship with them so I mean like I said I have heard horror stories about breweries trying to get open but from construction to opening I think we were delayed maybe three months at dry up and maybe a month in quarter so it really That's wasn't nice. that bad. A lot of people would be lucky to have yeah. this kind of The TTB approval process was good for both of them. The brewery <laughs> inspections were good at both of them. We didn't have any issues. so. And they kind of leave you to the brewing, so I guess yeah. I'll go into your experiences. I know that we had talked about you uh, brewing at the church, which is one of my favorite places in Pittsburgh. Yeah. How'd you get started before that? Before that, I was at a, a brewery in Lancaster, Pennsylvania called Lan Lancaster Brewing Company. I... Uh, was living in New York, was a project manager for a contracting company, really did not like the nine to five lifestyle, did not like being, did not like construction basically. I did a lot of the estimating, a lot of the purchasing. And uh, I knew the head chef at Lancaster Brewing Company, which is also a brew pub as well. And he got me an interview with the uh, brewmaster, Christian Heim. And at the time, it's not what, it is in 2019. You were pretty much willing to take $8 an hour, you could get a job at any brewery in the country. And I just got married. Uh, we moved to Lancaster. I uh, took $8 an hour and basically lived off my wedding money for a year until the job arose at uh, Church Brew Works. And uh, I knew Pittsburgh from going to college out there and uh, knew the Church Brew Works well from when I lived in the city in 96 when it first opened and uh, had always wanted to brew there. So, I mean, it's in the turn of the century Roman Catholic Church. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's like the fact that the brew system is right up yeah, with it. it's gorgeous. All original, <laughs> all the original stained glass. They kept all the original wood. It's, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful place to brew. And it, it did not, didn't suck going to work for six hours to, to make beer there. Um, and yeah, and so just sucked it up and used our wedding money for a year until I could get a job that paid better. And fortunately, I got hired by the church. And at the church, I had always, Brian had been there, Brian Pearson had been there for 10 years, and I never felt it was my brewery. I always felt like it was Brian's brewery, and I was always being compared to Brian. So the opportunity arose to start something from the ground up in Chicago. I sort of jumped at it. And what's your background? Uh, I've always been working in, like, actually front of house for a lot of brew pubs. I worked at Distill for a long time, down at Bloomage Normal, so I went to college. And then, uh, me and my wife always enjoyed going to brew pubs, breweries, checking it out, um, following in that trend. We lived in, uh, Nashville, North Carolina for a couple years, uh, enjoying that scene. And then, um, 
we came back to Chicago, and uh, we lived in the neighborhood uh, when Corridor opened. And we're like, oh, that look, place looks so cool. Um, let's check it out. And then really enjoyed it. And I was like, I want to be a part of this. So I worked in front of house for a while. Uh, background in home brewing for five years. I slowly just sort of wiggled my way in, talking with the, the brewer, Roger, trying to get insights, trying to help out whenever I can, and sort of build my way up. Excellent. And I'll go ahead and leave with this, because there are a lot of options in Chicago. And this, technically, would you, what district is this? Is this Chicago Brewing or is this Mall Road? This is Lakeview. This is Lakeview. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. But you're so close. There's three of us in Lakeview, so there's us, Dry Hop, which is our sister brewery, and then there's uh, Green Star Brewing, which is right by Wrigley Field. Oh, yeah. So those are the three in Lakeview. And then Mold Grove begins at uh, pretty much Beagle and Dovetail at uh, Ravenswood and Irving Park Road. So north of Irving Park, Irving Park Road is considered Mold Grove. So with all of those choices, is it starting to become overload in Chicago? Are you still nowhere near saturation? I don't think we're anywhere near saturation. I think if you're an out-of-state brewer, we're at saturation because it seems like the Chicago beer drinker just wants local right now. So if you're like planning on coming into this market, I think you're going to have a really tough time. And fortunately, we own a, we're a brew pub. We want people coming here to drink beer. We don't have to fight with to get shelf space at Finney's. We don't have to yeah. fight to get a handle on it. The better craft beer bars around town. We want you coming here and enjoying the beer. So we, I really like our business model moving forward, as opposed to uh, uh, Upstart, who's got to fight with Rev and Goose and Half Acre and Metro and the behemoths of uh, like uh, draft sale and bottle sales. So. But, but no, I don't think we're near saturation. Excellent. It's always fun. It's always something new is always fun for me. Yeah. It's, Definitely going to be enjoyable for me. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank I appreciate you. it. Absolutely. Cheers, thank you. And from there, we are going to head to Dovetail Brewing. This is easily one of my favorite breweries in the United States. It was just an absolutely fantastic time. And like I said, it was a very traditional sort of German-style brewery. Uh, the co-founders that you're going to be hearing from are Hagen Dost and Bill Westlink. I'm sure I completely butchered their names, so I'm sure I'll get an email from them, which is okay. But they actually met while brewing in Munich, and when you go, and you'll hear this in the interview, everything is traditionally European, even down to their brewing system and the glassware that they sourced for the brewery. What I find interesting is that it is in the North Center neighborhood, um, which is it's about a block behind another brewery that I was told to go to and went to called Beguile. Didn't get to speak with Beguile, unfortunately. But while we were chatting, they actually pointed to a large building on the other side of the metro line, which is where the Cicerone program is located. No idea that that was located in Chicago or that I was so close to it. So, without any further ado, I will let these two gentlemen do the talking since they do it so much better than I do when it comes to beer. So, here is Dovetail Brewing. Cheers. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it. And so, this is the Vienna Lager. You were saying this is one of the first three beers that you gentlemen made together. No, the, the rock beer. The rock beer. This, Sorry, I think, was beer. number four. Wasn't it? But taking Probably. a look at them, these are classic German styles. Yes, they are. Why did you decide to go that route? Um, it's a good question. And because we live in it, we live in a time of throwing fully baked and iced cinnamon rolls into mashed tubs. Yeah. Okay. So so so. Yes, uh, we do. <laughs> so so, um, Bill and I, Bill and I enjoy drinking beer. Um, Which is, we call that research. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, honestly, like, there are, are, we do do like IPAs. Um, It's just, you know, we felt that, uh, um, 
There are a lot of really great IPAs being made, um, but we um, uh, we wanted to focus on we wanted to focus on something else because we, we felt and we felt that like very like classically made uh, German lagers and uh, German ales or continental continental uh, uh, lagers and ales were, were underserved uh, and underrepresented. Um, uh, so uh, uh, we felt that was the that was the way to go, uh, and plus we just love those kinds of beers. Um, you both spent time in Europe, correct? Yeah, uh, both apart and together. Hagen uh, and I met in beer school in, in Germany, so we had a lot of good time doing uh, research together and talking about uh, beer and how beer is made. Once in a while, we talk about bad beer in Germany because there is some. Really? Yeah. It's few and far <laughs> between, but there is some. Yep. But uh, yeah, and you know, we separately we both spend time in, in Germany and other parts of Europe, exploring and researching. And then I know that you were an engineer. Yes. Which is kind of how Dovetail gets its name. Well, so, yeah. Well, so, so actually, uh, actually, Dovetail gets its name. Um, so, so Bill and I are—we're we're both certified master brewers, right? We're both Siebel guys, um, and uh, uh, we see this uh, this brewery as two brewers coming together to form a stronger brewery, like the Dovetail Joint of woodworking. So, okay. Dovetail Joints is the uh, is uh, the strongest joint in uh, in woodworking. Uh, and and that is um, uh, you know, it's just the, that's that's the way we see it because uh, we, we both have strengths and weaknesses and uh, and coming together that's that that was our, the best foundation and we're, and what we're doing here is a very it's a very brewing intensive type uh, 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 type of type of brewery so. Um, you know, like some people think we're a lager brewery or, a, or like a German German styles brewery, but we're not really. We are. Um, we, we we use we make continental European style beers with traditional methods, and the, the traditional methods are really what's at what's at the core of uh, of what we do. And we're, and we're in the tap room here for anybody that's listening. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, things get things yeah. get fun in tap rooms. Um, yeah, you're one of the few breweries that I've actually visited that does open fermentation. Yes. Were you ever concerned about that being, as you mentioned earlier, between a light commuter <laughs> rail and a city rail? And no. Uh, Beer has been made for however many thousands of years, and for the vast majority of that, it's been open fermented. Uh, yeast and beer in itself protects itself. You know, yeast makes uh, CO2 and alcohol, uh, both things that are kind of uh, hard for other organisms to live in. Uh, so it's a great, uh, it's, a, it's a great organism uh, uh, for us, uh, and and well as as. Uh, Stress. There's no stress on the yeast with open fermentation. Uh, the the beer can can breathe and, and uh, do its thing. Uh, so it's uh, we we think it's just a, a finer character uh, to the beer with the with the open fermentation. And of course, you know we take our care with sanitation and and uh, care and and handling the beer and and uh, all the aspects that go along with having uh, open fermenters. As long as you time things properly and and stay stay clean, you're you're good and have have nice nice healthy yeast too. And how much did your time in Europe influence not only the brewery operations but even the taproom side of things? Is this a very European style operation, or is it still sort of uniquely identifiably American, maybe with a little flavor? I would say it's an American American brewery with traditional uh, ways of brewing. Uh, you know, we take the best of the uh, old world and put it into a modern brewery. Uh, we're not Ryan Heitzkeboot, so we we don't mind uh, doing things the American way. And you know, the tap room has got a, a 
big bar, which you don't find in Europe. You know, everyone, everything in Europe is table service. Uh, but, really? But Americans like bars and putting their uh, elbows up and yep. and, uh, and their belly close to it. So that's it's maybe, we, we felt yeah, we needed. Maybe a little bit of a balance in here, I'd, I'd say, because the, like the the seating area kind of has a has more of a yeah, the benches, more of a European feel with these these benches. Where right? we're all we're all sitting around, we're sitting around a table that. I mean, I think I've seen at least ten people crowded around this table, like, like elbow to elbow, and it's. But you, but you're, but you're also like at a good, good talking distance. Mm-hmm. So like, like those, the, the the length of those little tables there. I'm pointing, I'm pointing at some low, low two tops. Um, we did extensive, extensive research on, on what the perfect dis, what the perfect table size is. We went every place we every place we drank together in in Europe. I'm not kidding you. We had a tape measure with us, and we would measure and, everything. And and we, we we measured it out. And what we what we decided was that 69 centimeters was the perfect table distance. And we're going to have to go sit over at one of these. Okay. So, so, you, so you can see it. Okay. But it's, it, it's the right distance for, like, uh, for, for, uh, for talking, especially, like, in a noisy environment. Um, and you're, you're just far enough. You're not too close. And, you're, uh, um, and you can still fit a plate of food on. We don't serve food here, but, but in, in Europe, you can still fit, like, a good pork shank on my two pork shanks, let's, let's say, <laughs> between you. So, that is so, a no. uniquely engineering-based <laughs> question. Well, and, and we got lots of uh, crazy looks when we were sitting at tables breaking out yeah, uh, tape measures. Out, we, we had to go to the, yeah, we, we bought one of those tailor's tapes, you know, and we, like, like one of us would always have it in the pocket. Like, like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I have to ask this with a lot of the brewers that I've spoken to, there's a lot of people that are coming from engineering backgrounds. Yeah. Why do you suppose that is? That's because engineering sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to say my father has a PhD in structural, so... No, I'm just, I'm, I, I kid, of course. Um, uh, but, no, I mean, it's a... I, I don't know. There, there's a... You know, it's it's nice to have a little bit of a little bit of technical technical background and uh, doing these things, but uh, yeah, I think I think uh, uh, it's maybe maybe a lot of the people you know want wanted uh, a certain type of creativity in their in their lives. I don't know. Um, so bringing it back to Chicago, how would you sort of describe the Chicago beer scene in, in a few words? Being residents of this is Malt Row, right? You're, you're in within Malt Row, yeah. It's our little neighborhood moniker <laughs> for our uh, breweries along our industrial strip here in Chicago. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would describe the beer scene in Chicago as healthy and vibrant. Uh, I think you can find a wide diverse selection of uh, beer um, you know from the traditional like us to the weird things they put in beer these days uh, all you know to the classic uh, English styles and classic American styles it's, it's really fun yeah, going around and, and drinking in this town I've noticed that a lot of the breweries that I've either researched or been to already seem to ignore or focus, they seem to focus on having a very small tap list of beers that they craft very meticulously and very slowly. Instead of having a huge tap list where they try to please everybody, they've got a smaller tap list. These are the kinds of beers that we make, and if you're not into that kind of beer, there's another brewery right down the street. That's right. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so are they? Are they? The, the, the tablets are smaller than other tablets that you've seen. Like, mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's a. I, I think that's. Uh, it is, or it should be, like a, a, a larger trend in craft brewing. Like, I think. I think those days of forty beers on, on tap or at a at a single brewery are, are done. I, I mean, there was a time where that was necessary, you know. Like, I think I think that's what that's what happened, or that's what they did down at, at Goose Island, Clybourne, back back in the day, and that was that was fantastic. 
that was like like for like for back then. I was like, oh, what, you know, I've hardly ever been able to take to to get a saison, and look, they did. They made a saison, you know. And I'm I'm talking like, well, to me it seems like not that long ago, but it's probably ages two thousand twenty years, two thousand five, two thousand six, <laughs> fifteen years ago, you know, or yeah. so. Uh, but yeah, um, that's that's interesting to hear about. Uh, about Chicago, just because honestly, we don't. I mean, I, I don't get out much. <laughs> so you probably, I've you, heard that you a probably, lot. <laughs> you probably know way more about uh, sh- about Chicago breweries than, than we do at this point. So, do you feel that, or do you see that organizations like Goose Island, even before the purchase, and some of the bigger ones like Revolution comes to mind? Are they really sort of? dictating the ebb and flow of beer in the city or has it gone so big that everybody sort of does what they want I don't think they dictate anything I, I, I mean it's I don't think they dictate I think they just help open up new accounts to craft beer that wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have craft beer in it before yeah those you know, are, they're kind of the gateway beers now right. like Rev and Rev and Half Acre plus they're they're just they're great I mean they they there's a real spirit of community here in, in Chicago, and I, I think through, still throughout the craft craft beer world. But those those guys have helped us out in a pinch many many times. We've got a bunch of barrels upstairs from uh, uh, from Rev that uh, Josh sold us to at an okay price, and, <laughs> and, uh, not not a great price, but an okay price. And then and then uh, Half Acres helped us out in a pinch with some yeast a couple times, which is, which is great. Yeah. yeah, lab work. Lab work, yeah. Now, I've heard from one end of the spectrum to the other for this question, but how difficult is it legally to open up a brewery in Chicago? Well, you know, you got a brown paper envelope. It's pretty easy. <laughs> is that how they do it in Europe? Yeah. yeah. No, I know it's probably harder in Europe. No, honestly, it's like I mean, I'm born, I'm born and raised in Chicago. It's 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 they make it these days. They make it really easy to open up open up a business or open open up a brewery. It's way better than it used to be. Um, uh, it's it's a lot harder to keep a business open. So, uh, yeah, but but it's the the process was not too bad. You've, so you've heard the, but you've heard. I've heard some good things and I've heard some bad things. I think I think a lot of it depends on uh, who you use too to to as your as your contractor, let's say, and, um, yeah, and how you right how you approach your relationships with with the city and with you know with, with your aldermen. So the aldermen, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, like Chicago is split into fifty wards, and each ward is. A tiny fiefdom, uh, <laughs> run by an, a, a person called an alderman, and and the alderman can give you the thumbs up or thumbs down, on uh, just about anything. Yeah. yeah, but ours ours was happened to be like a really great great guy, so he he helped us out a lot. Cool, awesome. Um, how was the process of developing your recipes? How long did it get you to dial those in? How much have they changed? Because this, like, you know, for, for example, the Vienna Lager is absolutely perfect, like right down the line. It's every single note and is legitimately one of the best Vienna Lagers I've ever had. Wow. So it's Thanks. And I'm, I'm a big Vienna Lager fan, so having one that is correct makes me so that was the first try (laughs) that that, that was the first try that one came out successful with the first recipe don't mess with it Uh, the Rauk beer was a one one time recipe that we've kept ever since and the and the other and the the lager and the half the lager was many 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 but that was also the lager and the half were the first really so 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 it, it, it kind of comes down to how we look at recipe design. So, so when, when we're developing a recipe, we, we, we start from the outside and we work in. So, so uh, uh, we think about appearance, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, aftertaste. Des- write all that down. Describe that beer. And then, and then sometimes even like 
when when even you know like we, we might use the same word for a slightly slightly different thing so so when we when we developed the lager the lager was the product of see it uh, the lager was the product of um, uh, by uh, a pro- the product of um, a year of pilot batches uh, every Tuesday and Thursday actually the lager the half and the route beer we did the route beer on the yeah. pilot system too so so we had like we had that list of descriptors and I think you had the Hellas I don't think you had the yes, lager yes I did yet. I started with the Hellas which is yep. fantastic we we'll have to have the lager too so so um, um, so we had that list of descriptors um, uh, and then we had seven like base designs for, uh, uh, different may, maybe there's usually like different malts and different different hops different IBUs or, or whatever but then we had like A, B and C versions underneath all of those and we just brewed that thing repeatedly different different mash regimes to it and and uh, and honestly I don't think we were ever really happy with it until we brewed it on the big system here we, we felt like we felt like oh, okay we're close enough you know but, <laughs> but we, well, we got a brew yeah. we got it yeah <laughs> we need we beer brew. Nice. what it's kind a, of the system do you have in the back it's a 25 hectoliter uh, system four vessel um, mash ton louder ton kettle and holding vessel or or you could also call it a wort receiver um, so you specifically went for a European style yes yes yeah so we, we, we designed it so we could do any any sort of mash regime that we could think of or anyone could think of so it's decoction capable all our all our beers have at least one decoction yeah. in them. If Hellas is single, this is a double. Lager's a double. Mm-hmm. Our Pilsner's a triple. <coughs> Czech Dark Lager's a triple. But also, and then the uh, but the also the, the kettle is direct fire, mm-hmm. so you get that nice uh, depth of character uh, with a direct fire uh, instead of steam. Um, now, what about water profiles? Because the gentleman that I was telling you about earlier, he changes his profile to suit the city where the beers were generally created. Mm-hmm. Do you have water issues? Yeah, we here just in we just throw in we just throw in whatever. <laughs> you know, we, don't, we don't care. Just a hose. I mean, just, a, just a garden, garden hose. hose. <laughs> garden hose. It's been left down the sun yeah. for now say years. Yeah. So so we uh, for the loggers we actually make our own water. Really? So yeah, so we we've got a, a custom. Hog and I throw hands yeah. at each other right. all night. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Just a few more hours. <laughs> um, we need more hydrogen. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we so we take we've got a custom RO skid in the back. So we 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 take uh, Chicago water, carbon filter it, reverse osmosis. We add a little bit of carbon filtered water into the reverse osmosis water, uh-huh. and then we um, we remineralize with calcium chloride and magnesium sulfate. And, we're, and the goal is to get as close as possible to the profile of Pilsen. Okay. So so uh, uh, um, you know Pilsen has very soft water. For anybody who doesn't know, very very low in mineral uh, water, um, and we use that water in all of our lagers. Um, uh, so, so it gives it, first of all, it, the, the mash pH is correct, uh, which is, it, that's important for enzyme, enzyme action. Um, the, um, uh, the, the, the taste or the, or the mouthfeel is very soft. Um, uh, uh, so very very soft mouthfeel, nice dry contributes to a nice dry finish, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, helps uh, when you're using noble hops. Especially, it helps that that fine hop character. Um, 
Well, when we make our hef, we use carbon filtered Chicago water, a little harder, little harder water, um, which which will help with somewhat with like a ferulic acid rest because we do a ferulic acid rest for for our hef. Um, the nice thing about the water for the lager, I think, is that dry finish that Hagen uh, talked about earlier. That the flavor stays in your mouth, but it doesn't leave your mouth wet. So it yeah. makes you want to yeah. have that next sip to experience yeah. that whole experience again. Yeah. Just a the touch of repeats. astringency without being uncomfortable, but keeping yeah. the flavor there. Yeah. Yep. So that's a right, and that's a 27 IBU beer that we're drinking of Vienna. Mm-hmm. And just uh, you don't you don't need 60 IBUs to get happy happy character. You just need you need enough, especially like in a beer like this. Yeah. You're balancing out the maltiness. It's like you're saying balance. Balance, balance is key to all our beers. Balance of yeah of different elements. Yeah, balance and balance doesn't mean you you do like twenty two IBU in every beer or whatever. You just it's all appropriate to all the elements. Now the tapless release, the tapless that I'm seeing today is very German. Um, yep. But the coasters kind of have a Belgian feel to it, I guess. How often do you generally do Belgians? Do you? Do we Belgians? have. We, 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 do, we, we, we do make a, um, a Belgian-style beer. Uh, we brew it twice a year when the weather conditions are appropriate. Okay. Um, and uh, that, that's all the beer upstairs. And uh, what we do is a spontaneously fermented uh, beer with a turbid mash. Uh, in Belgium, they call it Lambic. Here we call it. Spontaneously fermented beer. <laughs> in the style of Lambic. In the style of Lambic. <laughs> so but it's not Lambic. Yeah, so we've been brewing that since we, we opened. We've had a couple of releases. Um, but it's we're just, just getting ready. We're on our third year of production, so uh, really really getting ready to ramp up our, our out, outlay of that. Which is good since we got a lot of it. Yeah, we have over 700 barrels upstairs. Oh my gosh. 700, actually it's pushing like 760 right now. <laughs> we just added 84. Yeah. Some of those are empty. <laughs> Which means you got to start smashing some atoms together to yep. fill them up again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Since there are so many breweries, like, I mean, we're a block away from yeah. one, for example... Do you feel that the beer scene in the city is going to be approaching um, saturation? Yeah, saturation pretty soon. Are we nowhere near it? Is it comfortable? How do you feel about that? I don't... I mean, so what do we have? We have, we have 167 breweries. I'm doing some maths divided by the two millions. Let's see, so that would be, oh, and I got a turn, I have, let's see, actually it's 10 million, 10 million divided by 167, so that is one brewery for every 60,000 people. Um, That, in the real world, that's not saturation. In the real beer drinking world, and I'm, I'm talking like, like Franconia. Like Franconia in Germany mm-hmm. is is a saturated beer market. Really? So so, but I would say it's a full market. It's a it's a market. It's, it's, a, it's its own it's its own market though, and it's it, so so. Let's take Bamberg for for example. So Bamberg is tr- is true saturation, right? It's it uh, they they hardly sell any big beer in Bomberg. They, they drink all their local beers. Uh, so, so it's a town of 90,000 people and uh, they've got 10 breweries. Nine of them are world class. The other one is I don't know, for the tourists or something. <laughs> but but it's, not, it's not that good. But, but 
90,000 people, 10 breweries. That would be like having... It'd be like, hell, that'd be like having six breweries on Mont Row. <laughs> um, uh, but we draw, we, you know, we draw from the whole city. But so, so, so technically speaking, there's a, there's a lot of room to grow. The reality is, you know, in, in, in the U.S. beer market is that something like, I think something like 35 or 40 percent of the, of the market is uh, either craft or import. Um, craft is what 13 point something now as of when the, the numbers came out last week um, so there's a there's there's a lot of room for craft to grow but there, there's also a lot of cultural barrier to, to, to get over and that might be another generation before you know it doubles or doubles or triples um, so I don't know. So, like, maybe, maybe de facto saturation is coming close, but not, not really. I don't know. Don't really know. I don't. I'm not too worried about it. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so, since you have been tra- traveled in Europe, what are some of your favorite beer cities? Besides, Bomber, besides like, Bomber, like, yeah. yeah. Bomber, yeah. like uh, Hagen mentioned, Munich is a great town yep. for beer. Köln and Düsseldorf, Cologne and Düsseldorf, fantastic. Brussels, you can't you can't leave out Brussels. Um, if you mentioned Munich and you've got such a good German style, how's your Oktoberfest? <laughs> I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's probably non-traditional Oktoberfest. In what way? I think the German German Oktoberfests are kind of getting dumbed down every year, lighter and less alcohol. Uh, the fest, the fest beer. The fest beer, beer. yeah. So ours, ours is probably a little bit more, uh, a bit more malty and higher, a proof. higher, higher ABV. Yeah. So the, the way the Germans used to drink. Mm-hmm. We've got our Maybach on our on our friends and family tap right now. If you're if you're interested my in trying is it. one of my favorite styles oh shit now we can't fuck up <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I will say something and I'm curious as to what you think because I've got I've spoken to a lot of brewers who they will put it on October 1st and on November 1st it better be gone yeah that's, yeah, that's you know it's like, like anything with a uh, Christmas anything December 26th it stops selling that's a good yeah. point. So yeah, it's uh, monikers in front of beer, you know, are pe- people's perception of them is pretty true to what it says. If it says it's Christmas, I'm only drinking yeah. it for Christmas. If it says Oktoberfest, once you know October or September even is done, or it's done. Yeah. Summertime, anything labeled summertime, you're not selling in the winter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so we're, so we're hoping to have our, kind my, of the, our Maybach the, done by the end of May. Yeah, so. yeah kind of the, using terms like that sometimes to be a, a curse on a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess last question for you. On a regular basis, how often do you get people to come in here and expect to see birds? Oh, that's funny. Dovetail. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I had to ask the question. I know it was cheesy. That was a that was a big big thing when we were doing our logo design. It's like it is it not the bird. It is part. not the bird. It's not about the bird. <laughs> yeah. The re- it went it went so far one time as like uh, somebody so, somebody uh, I think I think sent us an email and went into like MS Paint and was like was like you know what there's I just think I, I liked your beer but I was just thinking about your logo and and I thought this might work better <laughs> <laughs> and like like drew up like a bird's tail <laughs> so <laughs> that's we're like, yeah, okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. We'll send that to the art department. Right. Right. <laughs> and which trash can is the art department? <laughs> oh man. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you uh, 
you, you came up from Florida and talked talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that is it for part one of our special series in Chicago. About this time next week, you're going to hear part two. And we've got a couple other excellent breweries to follow up on. One of which does a considerable amount of vacationing in Florida. So we were actually able to chat about some of the breweries down here, which is excellent. I need to give a very special thank you to Jenny at Dovetail and Eileen at Corridor for helping me set up the interviews. It was greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for your time and your effort. I also want to give a shout out to Afro Beer Chick. She is on Instagram and has a great blog at AfroBeerChick.com. She is a Chicago native and helped me out with a lot of questions and giving me some advice and actually also pointed me in the way of her husband's podcast you can find them at chicago beer pass and i still listen to them because they've got a great podcast and a lot of really good information about the city and i was actually able to use some of their information for some of the interviews that are coming up the florida beer podcast is still a production of floridabeerblog.com you can still find us at floridabeerblog.com on social media, at Florida Beer Blog on Instagram and Twitter. We're at FL Beer Blog on Facebook. And you can write to us directly at FloridaBeerBlog at gmail.com. The intro announcer is Jeff Brozovich. Thank you so much to today's guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a nice, juicy five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow us. Subscribe. Tell your friends rate us it helps get the word out thank you so much we'll see you soon and thank you for listening drink florida craft and chicago craft too this is midway as far as this train goes all passengers must leave the train thank you for riding the cta orange line The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.